0: Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. Good morning. Once you guys open up to Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start off at verse 1. Travis, for those of you who don't know me, love to meet you. If you haven't met me or I haven't met you, man, come up afterwards and introduce yourself. I'd love to meet you and talk to you and get to know your name. 505 years ago in 13 days exactly, uh, a man walked up to a, uh, a church door in Germany and nailed a public notice to that door. Um, and it was an invitation to converse to even debate about 95 statements that he had written calling for the reform of the Catholic Church's doctrine and practice. This was Martin Luther in 1517, and it was called the 95 Theses. This was hailed hailed by many as the beginning of the Protestant Reformation where many see um, that God began a work of correcting some of the false and errant doctrine that had been widespread at that time. Now, this was not received very well by the Catholic Church. um, And so many see this as the event that began the split between Catholic and Protestant Church. And that was not Martin Luther's intent. He never intended to cause a split. He intended to call for reformation, but it ended up with a split. Now, many, many issues were addressed in these 95 statements that he made, but one of the overarching themes seems to be that he was calling on the Catholic Church to reform the fact that its organizational leadership of the church were holding power that only belonged to God. That they had coalesced power and that there was a mass centralization of power and with it, a leeching away of the tasks and the responsibilities that were meant for every Christian to engage into. So instead of Christians being ones who were engaging in the work of the ministry, it was only priests. Instead of Christians together as community, reading scripture and saying, here is what the Lord said, it was the Pope on high saying, here is what the Lord has said. So part of this overarching concern that Martin Luther had Was that the church had, the people of the church had been stripped of their calling and their mission. I think that was a necessary reformation to have. It's sad that there was a split, but a necessary reformation nonetheless. 500 years ago, there was a reformation of theology. The doctrine and the beliefs of the church needed to be reformed. But my conviction is that still to this day, our practice and what we do and how we live in many ways has not yet reformed. Our practice and how we live out this life has in many ways not followed suit with what we say we believe. For instance, Martin Luther taught the priesthood of all believers that every person who has the Holy Spirit living in them is filled with the Spirit and called into ministry. But if we were to be honest, how many of us actually live that way, that you're called into ministry? That your life's main reason for existing and moving forward and living is to spread the gospel of our good King Jesus. We say we believe that, But in so many ways, we don't live like it's true. And I am beginning to believe that God has chosen this time in history to finish the work that he started. I I can't promise you that's true, and I have no special knowledge to at all say, and this is how I know. I just, maybe it's just hope, but I believe And I'm growing in that conviction that maybe perhaps God is choosing this time in history with all that is going on, with all the pruning that he's done, with all the sifting he has done to call the church into a greater walk of obedience and mission than it's ever been in history. I am praying that there would be an awakening of Christians everywhere to the calling that we have to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. And that perhaps, perhaps, maybe, prayerfully, this generation or the next might see the return of Jesus ushered in. Again, I have no special revelation to claim that this will happen. I think Christians all throughout the history of the church have hoped that this would be the generation that ushers Jesus back home. But what if it is? What if this is the time? And what would be lost if we lived like this was the time and it wasn't? I don't know if this is true. But I wonder if we follow Jesus into a passionate, loving obedience of him, that this church would experience the power and the presence of God like it never has before. This world would experience the true gospel of Jesus. And perhaps in this generation or my kids or their kids' generation, we would finally see Jesus come and wrap this up. I have a fierce hope that that's true. Last week, the leadership team talked through, we sat up here, we talked through a definition of the church. What we see in scripture, the church being defined as, it's not an exhaustive uh, definition by any means, but it's some of the most important stuff, and there was four things that we talked about. That we are a family. You guys aren't distant relatives, you are my brothers and sisters. Not step sister, not half-brother, sister. You, together and with me, are a family. We are brothers and sisters, whether we act like it or not. We are truly brothers and sisters, more so than our blood brothers and sisters. We are a family of priest disciples who make priest disciples. That we are those who follow Jesus, who learn from Jesus, but obey Jesus in his mission. And so we are priests because we are doing the work of the ministry, we are disciples because we follow and obey Jesus. And part of that following and obeying is making other priest disciples, calling other people into this family, calling other people into sonship and daughtership of our God. So a family of priest disciples who make priest disciples of all people in all nations. There is no line between any human being that should stop us from bringing the gospel to them. Their politics their lifestyle, where they live in the world, what side of the tracks they live on, their intelligence level, their wealth, their race, their creed, that there is no dividing line that we are saying we won't step across that. But all people in all nations, we will gladly say all authority in heaven on earth has been given to Jesus, and he's told me to make disciples of all nations, so I will cross the line, and I will bring the gospel to those who don't have it. A family of priest disciples who make priest disciples of all people in all nations. Characterized by loving obedience to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That we would be a transformed family that look like our Father. And operate with that kind of love, humility, and obedience. So we described the church last week. This week... Through Ephesians 4, we'd like to just take some time to let scripture spell out how that would actually look if we were walking in that, if we were actually walking and being and behaving as a family of priest disciples, making priest disciples. So we're gonna start at Ephesians 4, verse one. Read with me. I therefore, this is Paul speaking, a prisoner for the Lord urge you To walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And now he's going to describe what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. He says this, verse 2. With all, surprise, surprise, humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Look at this. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Does it say eager to create? The unity of the Spirit? Is that what it says? Eager to what? Maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. What word does he keep repeating, church? What? 1 1 1 It's okay. All all one. We can we'll take both answers. <laughs> answers A and C are correct on this multiple choice. 1 1 1 1 1 Church, we are called to be 1. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> we are called to be all. Um yes. We are called to be one. I want to talk to you about our unity in God. Paul starts us off talking about walking in a manner worthy of our calling. And he says that disciples of Jesus are called to walk in humility, gentleness, patience, and loving forbearance. Do you know what loving forbearance means? You know what it is to forbear something? It's to love someone anyway. In spite of. That's, but we don't ever have to do that. We don't deal with that, do we? Not in our families or in our church, right? Everyone does it exactly right. And there's nothing we have to overlook or forgive, right? No. You're called to loving forbearance and humility. Why? He gives a why here. There's a result. For the result of what? Maintaining the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Maintaining the unity of the spirit the unity we have we do not create the unity we have together is not devised created by us it's derived from god himself the father son and the holy spirit are one god live in perfect unity Together. And so when we are invited into their family, we are given the unity that they have together and that they give to the church as a whole. We are not unified for unity's sake. I could unify with you over lots of different things. We could like the same team, right? Niners, Raiders, whatever. We could be unified over that and go to games together and be so excited about that team. That's not the unity he's talking about here. We could be united over politics, couldn't we? We vote the same way. We think the same way. There's lots of things we could be, find unity over and force a flesh human kind of unity. That's not the kind of unity we're talking about here. It's not unity for unity's sake because you agree with me and so therefore I'll be one with you as long as you agree with me. Until you change your mind or I find out something about you that I don't like, and then we're going to be disunified. That is not the unity he's talking about here. Rather, we have unity with each other, whether we act like it or not, because we are in union with God. If you have surrendered to Jesus, you have the same Holy Spirit living in you that lives in me, and therefore we are one. Whether we like it or not, we are unified by that same indwelling Holy Spirit. We don't get to choose who our family in Christ is. God has chosen that for us. If the Holy Spirit lives in me, I am united with Jesus as a child of God the Father. God is united to all who surrender to Jesus and are filled with the Holy Spirit, and so therefore, so am I united with all who have surrendered to Jesus and who are filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't get to choose whether I'm united with you or not, but I get to choose whether I walk in it and maintain it and act like it, don't I? We must be eager to maintain what we already have, to care for to nurture and maintain what we already have. We have unity in Jesus, but we must maintain it through humble love for each other. We can't be a family who's going at each other's jugulars. Can't be a family who's constantly fighting about secondary, tertiary, fourthiary, Fiftiary issues. I don't know what fourth and fifth are, I know tertiary. (laughs) And so we are one. The question is, are we maintaining that unity? But we're not only one, we're not only unified, there's also a diversity within the unity, isn't there? There's a difference a non-sameness within the unity that we have. In fact, that's what makes unity, unity. A bunch of people who are clones of each other, that's not unity, that's uniformity. Unity is when there is a difference and yet we're still bonded to each other, still faithful to each other. And so scripture here in Ephesians 4 verse 7 starts talking about the differences that exist among the church, the beautiful difference in the church. Verse 7, read with me. But grace was given to each one. He's been talking about all of us, but now he's saying each one. Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, Psalm 68, he's quoting here, when he, Jesus, ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. He does a little commentary here. Now, in saying he ascended, what does it mean that he had also... What does it mean, but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? Here's what he's talking about here. He's saying, Jesus, the Son of God, who was in the heavenly realm on Christmas morning, descended into the lower regions, the earth, and became one of us. He descended, he came down to the lower regions, this earth. And after being here and after sacrificing, what does he do? He ascends to the Father, and he's given all authority in heaven and on earth. Verse 10, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. Do you remember what Jesus said right before he ascended? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. That's what Paul's talking about. He ascended, was given all authority in heaven on earth. And then just a few weeks later, he gives gifts to mankind. What was the gift? The Holy Spirit being poured out into all who call Jesus Lord. And the Holy Spirit living within us gives us spiritual gifts that make us different from each other but help us to together be the church, be the body, family of Jesus that moves forward and gets the mission of Jesus done. Jesus became God incarnate in his first coming to this earth. And after his death and resurrection, when he ascended to the right hand of the Father, all authority was given to him, church. And with that authority, he poured out the Holy Spirit and gave us spiritual gifts. Verse 11, and he gave, look at this, he gave people. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. In scripture, there are four listings concerning spiritual gifts that I could tell. Maybe there's more, but these were the ones I could see. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and 1 Peter 4 speak mainly of gifts that Christians have, like hospitality or faith or healing. Gifts, abilities, supernatural abilities and gifts that God gives to Christians so that they can serve the church with those gifts. Here's the interesting thing about Ephesians 4, though. He doesn't talk about people having gifts. He talks about people being the gift to the church. Do you realize that if you are in Christ, you are a gift to me, If you have the Holy Spirit living in you and Jesus is your King, you don't just have gifts to use, you are a gift to this family. That's a different way to think about spiritual gifts, isn't it? But it's right there. He gave this person and that kind of person and that kind of person to be gifts to the church for a specific reason. We are gifts to the church, you may look at yourself and say, I don't feel like much of a gift. My question to you is this, are you in Christ? Do you trust Jesus as your king and your savior? Then brother or sister, you are a gift to me. And I love you and we love you and you are valuable. And God has something for you to give. Here in Ephesians four, the people themselves are gifts and God has given people, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers to be gifts to the church. And these five people gifts are given to the church, what? To equip the saints for ministry, to build up the body of Christ. We're given to each other to build each other up. There's other scriptures talk about iron sharpening iron. Do any of you um, cook, like cooking? Do any of you have like a nice chef knife to cut stuff with? Just like one person in here? Sheesh. How do you sharpen that knife? By running it up against a blade steel. Iron, sharpening iron. We living in community together sharpen, mature each other. We are given to each other to build up the body. Now here's what isn't clear. I just want to point this out really quick of what Paul means here. I'm not totally sure. I could pretend, but I don't want to lie to you. So I'm not sure if what Paul is envisioning here is that all Christians fall into one of these five, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. I don't know, I don't know the answer to that. Or if it's just some do. You know, if God were to come down here, would he say, no, every one of you is one of these five? Or would he say, no, some of you are one of these five, and some of you are other things? but you're all a gift to the church. I don't know which Paul means here, so I'm not gonna pretend that I do. But what is clear is this, that Paul thinks that these people, operating in their gifting, that they are necessary for the church to stay unified and to become mature and holy. We, as people in this church, the church, are necessary for the unity, for the maturity, and for the holiness of the church. It doesn't happen without us doing our part. You say, well, that's just up to God. He'll do it all. He's invited us into it, you guys. There's no backing out. It's what God has done since the beginning of creation. He created Adam and Eve, and what did he say? Rule over what I made. And he's still saying that. Christians, you are called and gifted, and you are a gift to the church, and if you operate in that gifting, the unity, maturity, and holiness of the church will grow and be maintained. So let's talk about these giftings. Let's get a little specific about what he means by apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. Now these, what I'm about to say, are just summaries from a lot of reference work. I've looked long and hard at this in from all over scripture. I've looked at lots of research reference material. And if you're one of those people who loves like footnotes and you're like a nerd like that, good for you, brother, sister, I am too. If you read footnotes, my notes with all the background, material not all of it, some of the background material will be footnoted on my notes uh, online this week if you wanna check those out so you can see if I'm full of it or not. But here's the thing. Let's talk about each one of these giftings. Let's talk about apostle. This is how I would summarize what an apostle is. It's someone who's gifted to be sent out to pioneer gospel work where there is none and where, or where it needs, and or where it needs strengthening. Someone who's gifted to be sent out, a person who is a gift to the church to be sent out to pioneer gospel work where there is none or where it needs strengthening. You know who I thought of this week as I, wrote that down. I thought of Jan Turner. You guys know Jan Turner? If you don't, she's someone who's part of our global staff. She's been a missionary sent out from this church 40, 50 years ago. It was, she, she was on the field forever, well she still is. She retired and then she went back doing the same thing she's always done, awesome. Jan Turner got it in her heart that the Mixtec people in Mexico, this tribe, who have a different language, they don't speak Spanish, Maybe some of them do, but they have their own distinct language. She got it in her heart that these people, because they didn't have a written language, they had verbal spoken language, they did not have a written language. She got it in her heart that she needed to move there, learn their language, and then make, not only translate the Bible into their language, but she had to make, help develop a written language first, and then translate the Bible, the New Testament into it, and then the Old Testament into it. She had to develop a written language over decades, and then translate the Bible into it so that these people would have the gospel. If that's not an apostle, I don't know what is. A sent out person who pioneers a new work of God because they're obeying him in their gifting. Prophet. Prophet. Someone who's gifted to build up the church with encouragement, consolation, conviction, and calling to faithfulness and repentance. The prophets of old in the Old Testament, do you know what their main job was? We tend to think about them like a prophet. Oh, he's a prophet because he tells the future. That's a small part, an important part that the prophets in the Old Testament did. But the main thing that they did was they were a witness and a call to covenant faithfulness. God had given the people of Israel a covenant through Moses. And the prophets were constantly saying, look at what the law says. Look at what scripture says. Are we living by it? And if we are not, we must return. We must repent. We must come back to what God has called us to. That was the main role of a prophet, to call people to loving, faithful obedience to their king. Do we still need people who are willing and courageous enough to say that now? You can answer, more than ever. More than ever. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. We are prone to wander, and we need courageous voices who will stand up and say, Here is the gospel of Jesus. Return and encourage our hearts and tell us how. Now, I want to say a few words to address the concerns that might spring up in the typical evangelical mind when speaking about apostles and prophets in the modern day. We've seen some abuses of this, haven't we? People who stand up and will say something like, You know, I am a An apostle descended from Peter, he's passed his apostleship down to this person and that person, that person, it's come to me and now I have this authoritative word over your life. Listen to what I say and do everything I say. We've seen people like that pop up, haven't we? Is that what we're talking about here? No. See, for many of us in this room, when we hear the word apostle or prophet, we think of a person chosen by God and given a special authority, both in the church and in producing scripture. When I think about apostles and prophets, I think about scripture. How about you? Does that kind of come to your mind somewhat? That's how we tend to think about the words apostle and prophet, that they are people who are given such authority and chosen by God to produce a work of truth that can't be questioned. And this certainly is one of the ways that scripture uses these words. It definitely talks about the apostles and the prophets like capital A, apostle, and capital P, prophets, who were chosen by God and given authority even to write scripture. So to call anyone an apostle or a prophet today feels very unsettling because of the weight and authority that we assign to those words, right? If I were to be like, Matt Sutherland is an apostle, you'd always be like, no, he's not. <laughs> Maybe you would say he is. But in that sense of he has the right to speak authoritatively and we all have to listen and do what he says, you'd be like, no, 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 no. But that's not the only way that scripture uses these words. If we were saying that, that there are today people who operate in this high definition of capital A apostle and capital P prophet, you should be concerned. But that's not what we're saying. As with many words, Both the words apostle and prophet are used in a range of meanings in the New Testament. They're not just locked into one type of meaning. The basic meaning for the word, uh, for the Greek word apostle, apostolos, is one who is sent out or a messenger. And for some reason, we don't translate into English when it says apostle, we don't say messenger or one who's sent out. It just has that term, apostle. There are places where the Greek word apostolos is used in an official sense about those chosen by Jesus to be an eyewitness of his resurrection. And so he sent them out in the world as an authoritative witness of Jesus and his resurrection because they saw it with their own eyes. And he chose them and said, the Holy Spirit's going to remind you of everything I taught to you that you received directly from me. So that's a different class, isn't it? Authoritative witnesses of Jesus. Jesus. So that clearly is a closed group of people with some clear stipulations to be included in it, that you're an eyewitness of Jesus in his resurrection state, that you're personally chosen by Jesus for this office. You need to look at Acts 1 and 1 Corinthians 9 to confirm that. But the word apostolos is also used of others in the New Testament that were not eyewitnesses of Jesus. Epaphroditus in Philippians 2.25, Titus and his crew of brothers, 2 Corinthians 8.23, Silas and Timothy, 1 Thessalonians 2.6, Andronicus and Junia, Romans 16.7, Apollos, 1 Corinthians 4.6-10, and in 1 Corinthians 15.1-9, it says Jesus appeared to the 12, to the 500, James his brother, and all of the apostles. So it would be a mistake to think that there has been some succession of the original apostlehood or prophethood sent down through time to specific people today. But I believe that it would also be a mistake to disregard the evidence that others were seen as those gifted to be sent out as apostles, sent out to start new works, to be messengers of the gospel but not of the same caliber Or authority of the original apostles. And in the same way today, there are those who take the eyewitness of the original apostles and break ground into new areas and make disciples where there are none, to plant churches where there are none, and establish leadership for those churches. Though these may not be authoritative apostles like the originals, they are carrying on the duty that must be done for the world to see Jesus. Are there still unreached people groups in the world where there are no believers? You can answer that. Yes, Matt shared last week, it's growing. That number of unreached people is growing. So you don't have to call them apostles if that freaks you out. But does the church still need people who have the gifting and willingness and courage to be sent out to start new works where there are none? Does the church still need that? Yes, call it what you want messenger, missionary sent out one apostle. But we still need people running that lane because there are still places where the gospel hasn't reached. And same with prophets. Passages in the New Testament speak of the prophets as a select group of those who wrote scripture that was inspired by God. You can look at Matthew 5:17, 2 Peter 1:21. Yet the New Testament also labels others as prophets. Or those who prophesy, Acts 13:1, Acts 29, sorry, 21, 9, 1 Corinthians 14:1 through 33, though not with anywhere near the same weight as those who were called to that official capacity. Since the words of those who prophesy must be weighed by others in this New Testament time. 1 Corinthians 14, 29 says, if anyone prophesies in the church setting, it must be weighed by others. If anyone speaks and says, I feel like this is what God is saying to us, the others stop and say, let's talk about this and let's see if this squares with Scripture and squares with what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. So while there seems to be evidence of prophecy Enduring in the church age, it seems to be clearly of lesser caliber and weight than the prophecy which came from, quote, the prophets. Do we still need people in this church age to stand up and say, we are off track and we are called to repent and believe and come back to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith? Do we still need those voices in the church today? Yes, Yes, we do. And sometimes those voices empty a room. And sometimes those voices encourage and exhort and build up. But we need those voices. He talks about evangelists. That word, evangelist, comes from the Greek word euangelion. And that just means gospel, good word, good message. So I wish we could call these gospelers or gospelistas, because it would show us that they're about the gospel. These are people who are gifted to clearly proclaim the gospel to both believers and unbelievers. They are bringers of the good news of Jesus. They're just specially gifted to speak the gospel, and for some reason, people listen and respond. Now, if that's not your specific gifting, you don't. Get an out. All of us are gospelistas, amen? All of us are called to give the gospel of Jesus. It's just that there are some who, man, when it's go time, they're gonna speak and people are gonna listen. Evangelists. Talks about shepherds. I think another word for this could be pastor. I think it comes from the same word grouping, shepherd, pastor. These are people gifted to provide leadership for the care faithfulness and unity of the church. These are the people who are leading the local church, who care for you, for me, who provide leadership so that we stay faithful to our calling and our mission, who provide leadership so that we stay unified and holy. A shepherd and then a teacher. I think there's some real overlap between shepherd and teacher here. These are people who are gifted to illuminate the scriptures for wisdom and understanding that empowers obedience to Jesus. Teachers are not called to just fill your mind with knowledge. Most of us, in fact, I would say all of us, have enough knowledge to get on with the mission. Teachers don't just fill your head with knowledge. They give you insight into scripture that should light a fire and light the fuse for obedience and and accomplishing of the mission that Jesus has given all of us. So Paul has already expressed that the unity of the church is linked to the faithful expression of spiritual gifts he says, he talks about all this unity and he says, therefore, Jesus poured out these gifts and gave these people to the church for what? For the sake of the unity of the church. But not only unity, he moves on in this passage and he puts the gifts, the spiritual gifts right in the middle of these two things. So it's like a picture of us holding with our gifts. We are gifted people in the church holding on to unity with one hand and holding on to something else with another, keeping us in a lane of being on mission for Jesus. So not only unity, but now he goes on to explain that the church operating in its giftings will result in maturity and holiness. So not only unified are we together under Jesus, but we keep each other moving to greater lengths of spiritual maturity and walking in righteousness that Jesus gave us. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, adulthood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is a huge statement when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And then further on in verse 22, he says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So here's the big picture of the gifts working themselves out, the gifted gifts of the people of the church. In this passage, Paul is concerned that the unity of the church family must be maintained. He's given us unity, but we're called to maintain it. And people gifted with the spirit of God are the ones he is gonna use to help maintain that unity. But not only unity, it's also maturity and holiness that must be developed. And it is the people of the church in their lane of giftedness working together as a body, as a family, that keep our hands both on unity and on maturity and holiness. And he teaches us that it is the people of the church who are gifts from Jesus to the church that will accomplish this through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is huge. For the church to remain unified and holy and on mission, we have to do our job. We have to walk in our calling. If we faithfully operate in the giftings that Jesus has given us, the church will be unified and mature, and the kingdom of Jesus will expand. Conversely, If we do not faithfully operate in our giftings, the church will suffer division, immaturity, and worldliness, and our witness to the world will be compromised. So you tell me, does functioning in your spiritual gifting sound optional? Does functioning in your spiritual gifting sound optional to you? not if we want the mission to happen, not if we desire what Jesus desires for the church to stay unified and for us all to grow in maturity and holiness and being on mission so that all the people who must be reached will be reached and Jesus will return. Us operating in our lane of gifting is crucial to the mission of the church and its holiness and its beauty and its unity to happen. if you opt out of walking filled in the spirit and walking in the lane of your calling, you have become a drag on the mission of Jesus. You have become a liability to the moving forward of the great Commission. If you are operating in your gifting perfectly, no. But if you are listening to Jesus, walking in the fullness of the Spirit by spending time with him every day, being changed and in prayer and in the scriptures and letting him change your heart day by day, listening to him and when he says go, you obey. When he says stay, you obey. When he says do whatever you obey, when you're walking in that fullness of the Spirit and in your gifting, You speed the return of Jesus, is what I believe. It's not optional. The church flourishes when disciples of Jesus obey him by operating in their gifting. When I say the church, I don't just mean our country club here. I mean the church getting out of these dumb walls Out of these really ugly pews and being the church together where we live in community, making relationships with people who don't yet know Jesus and being the church there. If all we do in our spiritual life is show up at church on Sunday and sit in a pew and listen to some stuff that some guy with a, I don't, know, whatever. And we sing a few songs, and that's it? Wow. No wonder Jesus (laughs) hasn't returned yet, if that's all we do. So when you imagine walking in your gifting, don't imagine it just here on the church campus. Please. Please don't imagine that. Yes, here. Yeah, when we gather, that's important. And functioning in our gathering, in our gifts, is really important. But please don't imagine it just here. What's Jesus' first word in the Great Commission? Go. 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 We are, by nature, a sent-out people. Called to live a life of following Jesus out there for the sake of those who aren't here. How do I begin to engage in this, you may ask me. Travis, give me some specific ideas. Tell me what to do. No. No. I'm not gonna give you specific ideas. I am not the Holy Spirit, neither is Matt, neither is Kyle. I do not have insight into your life and your calling and your giftings as Jesus does. If you want someone to just lay out all the steps for you for what you're supposed to do, that's, I love you, that's lazy. That's saying, I'm unwilling to spend enough time with Jesus every day to clearly hear his voice and let him tell me what he wants me to do. So no, I will not tell you what you're supposed to do. I will not tell you specific ways you're supposed to enact this. This is something you must go to Jesus every single day with and say, Lord, speak to me, teach me your voice. I will read your word. I will pray. I will spend time with you. And as you show me what your voice sounds like, I will listen and I will learn my lane of calling and I will obey. He will tell you. He will show it to you. His word promises. When we ask him for his will, he does it. Do you not believe that God answers his promises, and does what he says he'll do. Here's what we will do, though. The next two weeks, instead of a sermon, we're going to be interviewing on stage here some people who it seems that the Lord has gotten a hold of their hearts and they are really listening to him, listening to what the Holy Spirit has for them and their gifting and their calling and how they're living that out in life right now. Not so that you can copy what they're doing, but so that your heart can be inspired with how to hear from God and how to step into the calling God has given you. But for you to hear the calling God has specifically given you, you have to spend time asking and listening. So here's my challenge, my call for you. Over the next three weeks as we're talking about this, today, next Sunday, and the one after, spend time every single day with the Lord. Start there. Learning to hear his voice. Learning to hear him through scripture. Learning to hear from him through prayer. Getting close to Jesus. Knowing what his voice sounds like. You will not regret it. You will not regret it. And as you're with him, ask him, Jesus, what have you called me to do, and what's my lane, and who are the people I'm supposed to go to? Who are the people I'm supposed to serve in the church? Who are the people I'm supposed to serve and give the gospel to in this world? And listen, and write it down, and do it. What if I heard him wrong? Oh, well, then you obeyed him anyway. He can handle that. He's got big shoulders. Some in here might say, Travis, you're telling me that I have to get on this mission, but I am so busy, I already have enough to do. My life is too full, maybe another day. Friends, I love you, but we have to repent of that kind of thinking. How can you not have time for the one thing you're here on earth for? If you are so busy that you don't have time for the mission and gifting that God has given you, then get rid of something in your life. Cut something out. I can't do that. Everything, everything I'm doing and all the time I'm spending is all crucial to my life. Not if you can't fit your mission in. I know that me saying that might sound like I'm trying to shame or guilt or judge you, I'm not. Please don't hear that. I mean, some of us, man, some of us have like chronic diseases that it's all we can do to like get out of bed and sit in a recliner all day long. I know that, I feel that, I hear that. Do you think God can't use you from there? So please don't hear guilt. Please don't hear shame. Please don't hear you have to do more. No, I think you have to do less so that you can do your mission. But I'm not going to stop short of telling you that. I have had to have several moments in my life where there were people that got appointed to tell me some hard things I needed to hear because I was so lodged into my defaults. The last couple years for me have been like a gigantic pry bar getting underneath me and prying me out of some of the old defaults and patterns I've been in. And it's been hard, but I wouldn't exchange it for the world. I realize how asleep I've been, how off mission I've been, but now God's got my heart. He's moving me. I gotta be honest. Oftentimes, I'd rather be at Starbucks with my unsaved friends talking to them than here on Sundays. Don't take that as like a a, a slam on you. You guys are amazing. I love you, I'm so encouraged by this time. But that's not me, like I've never been that way. I've always preferred to be in this room with you people, with people I feel safe with and not out there trying to share the gospel with people that I don't know, but that's changing. If that can change in me, it can change in any one of us. Sometimes we need God to get that pry bar underneath us and get us unlodged from the rebellion and the comfort that we're we're lodged in. And so I pray that's how you will hear my words and God's word this morning, not as guilt, but an invitation to jump into the mission he's given us when Jesus returns. And he will I want to be able to say and feel that I did something to contribute to the move of his kingdom. I don't want him to come through the clouds and me, say, oh no, my time's up and I didn't do what I was called to do. I don't want there to be any regret in my heart in the day that Jesus returns. If that were possible, I don't know if it is. I want to be worthy of well-done, good, and faithful servant. My prayer is that you would be too. Pray with me. Jesus, it's amazing that you would involve us and invite us into your mission. It's amazing that you choose not to do it all yourself, but you create a family that you're gonna do it with. You invite all of us into Dad's work. We wanna be the kind of people who hear your voice, who spend enough time, have enough closeness to you that we know what you're saying and enough transformation in our hearts where we're willing to do it. Father, keep us away from feeling that we have to perform for you. Keep us away from legalism that would, we prescribe to each other what we're supposed to be doing but that you would keep us squarely in a place of listening to your word, listening to your call to us and in joy and in gratitude and in desire, obeying you because it is sweet and a treasure to us to do the things you've called us to do, that we would, like Jesus, be able to say, my food is to do the work of the Father. Jesus, make us faithful. Holy Spirit, fill us. Show us through your word and through the community that we're in with each other what our lane of gifting is and how we're to walk in it and obey you in it. And would you change this world because you have a church who finally is waking up and doing what we're called to do. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Cross Point.